Well, we, uh, we conclude our series on Romans 8 this morning. And uh, so our reading is a select reading from Romans chapter 8. And it has been an incredible series. The greatest chapter in the greatest letter in the greatest book ever written. So please stand, if you will, as, uh, as I read uh, selectively uh, through Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is God's word. Thanks, Don. When I was about five years old, um, our family were vacationing, and uh, one day we went to the beach. After a few hours, my parents suddenly noticed that I was lost. Uh, I assume they ran everywhere and shouted, but they could not find me. Beginning to give up hope, they went to the lifeguard station that was at the top of the sand dune on that particular beach. And as they were filling out a missing person's form with the authorities, another family uh, walked into the same lifeguard station to report Um, that they had found a missing child, me. I am told that uh, my mother, who up until that moment had been appropriately stiff upper-lipped, immediately burst into near hysterical tears. Being a mother is not for wimps. Earlier in my life, uh, I was not even walking at this stage. While my mother was talking to my grandmother, I escaped out of the back door into the garden and crawled into my grandmother's garden pond. It was a deep pond with steep, slippery stone sides to it. And when a moment later my mother found me sitting on the side of the pond, drenched in water from head to foot, she swears that it was a miracle that I survived. I got up to all sorts of things as a kid. Someday I will tell you, or maybe not. 
They say interesting children make interesting adults. I hope that is the case. I don't normally tell uh, family stories in my preaching for all sorts of obvious reasons, among them how difficult it is to get permission from my family to do so. But I begin like this not only because it is Mother's Day, but also because I think it is important that you understand why I find this chapter 8 of Romans that we have been studying for so many weeks so precious and how I hope that is communicated through me. Of course, it is the greatest chapter and the greatest letter and the greatest book ever written, but that's only half the story. Later in my life, I was sent off to boarding school and thrived in that elite environment for many years and on into college. But the real truth is that those early years left me with a deep sense of homelessness. If you ask me where my home is, I will say London, but the truth is I have no idea. Home for me is more relational than locational. From a very early age, I was uh, given opportunity to be independent, and I thank God for quite extraordinary teachers. For instance, I remember about 10 years after I left high school, wandering into the staff pub. Yes, this is England. And uh, one of the teachers swiveling around on his stool, looking at me and saying, Hello, Josh, how's the PhD going? So not only had they taught me, they had tracked my progress through the years, which is a little scary. I cannot complain, wonderful family background, wonderful parents, great education, God used all these things. But the truth is, this passage speaks to me because it heals my brokenness. I do not think I am the only broken person in the room. And I think this passage was written by a broken person who found healing in Christ. So as we take one final summary look at Romans 8, it tells the story of no condemnation in verse 1 to no separation in verse 35. Because of what Christ has done on the cross, because that is a free gift, Therefore, we are not condemned before the judgment seat of God when we die, and right now we live not separated from God's love. So then, for then, what then? First, so then, verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So then, as the Bible here goes on to explain, we are able to put to death the sinful deeds and desires in order to become more like Christ. 
my mother became a Christian in her early 20s through the witness of her brother who had recently become a Christian. And she says that what drew her in was just reading about Jesus and falling in love with him. The more you read about Jesus, the more you want him. Who else can rebuke hard-hearted Pharisee and one moment later be talking to Nicodemus with gentleness and truth? Who else can clear out the temple and one moment later be holding the hand of a recently dead girl and saying with tenderness, little girl, wake up. I know of no one like him. But the extraordinary miracle of following Jesus is that each day we have the opportunity not only to know him more, but to become more like him. One of our elders tells me a story of spending time with one of the members of our congregation. And after the weekend that they had spent together, thinking to himself, you know, he reminds me of someone. I can't think who. And then realizing he reminded him of Jesus. That is what is before us all if we are followers of Jesus. Holiness is not some harsh system to make you feel miserable. It is the gospel in becoming more like Jesus. The gospel path to become more like Jesus. Who wouldn't want that? John Owen said this about holiness. Holiness is nothing but the implanting, writing, and realization of the gospel in our souls. I would add, holiness is nothing but us getting to be a little bit more like Jesus. C.S. Lewis said that God's agenda is for us to become little Christs. Isn't that, isn't that such a freeing thing? Doesn't it, doesn't it answer the question of a student as to what they're meant to do with their life? As well as the middle-aged man as to what his life is for, as well as the older person looking back and wondering what the point of it all was. Become more like Christ. Because there is no condemnation and no separation. Because you are in Christ, you... Have the tools necessary. You can turn the house of your life with its slightly moldy basement and windows that need fixing and a roof that leaks if it rains hard enough into a bastion of Christ-likeness with light shining out of every window drawing people in to see the power of Christ within. In Christ... We have the potential to become more like Christ, but we still have the responsibility to ensure that we do. Imagine a country that was conquered by an invading army. And then imagine a guerrilla warfare campaign of insurgents against the occupying army. That is our situation if we are Christians. We have died with Christ, but we also then must not let the insurgency against us take possession of our mortal bodies. 
Our sensual personality is in Christ, but because we are fallen beings, sin still can establish a stronghold in our mortal bodies and take a healthy desire for sex and turn it into immorality or for money and turn it into immaterialism. That is why we must exercise responsibility, or as Paul puts it, put to death the deeds of the body with the power that Christ has given us. So then, be holy. Second, for then. Verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The trouble with heaven as a motivation to follow Jesus with radical devotion is that we cannot see heaven. But as the Bible here explains, we do know that the world is not as it should be. We know that that we Christians are not as we should be. We know that the Spirit is within us, and we know that God is working all things together for those who love him. So yes, we cannot see heaven. On the other hand, we know that Christ died and rose again, and we know that this world is longing for a new creation. We know that we are longing for a new creation too. We have the Spirit within us witnessing to us of God's fatherly love and care. And we know that God is interweaving the circumstances of our lives towards his great purpose of our good. And this glory is to be revealed in us. We, we cannot see it yet, but at the same time, we know that from a divine perspective, it is so certain that we can say we are glorified. It will not uh, surprise you to hear that uh, I have never uh, given birth myself, but I have been there when it happened. Some of you will know that when our second child was about to arrive, I got a call at the office at 11 a.m. that it was time to come home. I remember thinking that I was pretty sure the baby was going to arrive that day. I walked into our kitchen at 11.20 a.m. to find the baby had already arrived. I will never forget many moments of that event, but one is the look on my child's face as she saw me and heard my voice. Where have you been? was the look. I can still see that look. Our last child was born in hospital. Early in the morning, I broke, uh, I hope there aren't too many policemen in the congregation today, but I broke most of the speeding laws in Wheaton to get to the hospital. Uh, We walked in and I said, the baby is coming. Uh, They were very calm, you know, over-eager dad, probably. And began rather slowly to make some arrangements. I said, one of our children was born unexpectedly fast at home. This baby is coming. They moved a little quicker. 
I went downstairs to get the cord blood kit, came up again within two minutes to find every nurse and the doctor in the building, in the room, and the baby already born. (laughs) Apparently, the nurse had put her head into the corridor and shouted, help! And uh, apparently, that usually gets things moving in a hospital. You should try it next time. You'll be glad to know I was there for the delivery of the other two. Some are fast, some are slow, none are without pain. This is a common experience of human life. When the birth pangs begin, we know it means something. We cannot see the baby except through uh, modern science of ultrasound to some mild extent. But we know it is coming. Having never given birth myself, I can only imagine mothers are apprehensive at times about the actual delivery. But they go ahead. And afterwards, they see the pain differently. The same is true with suffering. Not only does the glory ahead mean that when we get there, we will see our pain differently because it is incomparable with that glory. Our suffering also means We know the baby is coming. When your gout plays up, it means you know the baby is coming. When your depression kicks in, it means you know the baby is coming. When your grades are not what you wanted, it means you know the baby is coming. Suffering is not only God's megaphone to a deaf world. It is also a fallen world's way of saying that it is about to deliver glory. For then, be hopeful. Third, what then? Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now we looked at these verses in the last two weeks and I'm not going to re-preach them, re-explain them. Instead, I will ask, what then? Given the fact that we in Christ have no condemnation before the final judgment seat of Christ, and we have no separation from Christ's love here in this present reality, what then? Uh, I grew and developed within the Anglican church. 
And one of the traditions of that church is that when a baby is christened, they are given what are called godparents. A godparent's job is to pray for the child and be a fallback for the child should something happen to their parents. I have uh, two godfathers and one godmother. The godfathers are not from Sicily, and the godmother has no magic powers. One of my godfathers is quite an eminent conductor. He has conducted city orchestras in America, England, Scotland, and Australia. Every uh, summer, for many years, he would use his one week's vacation, one week, to work on a summer camp for teenagers. Very few people knew what he really did for a living. You could find him at that summer camp, elbow deep in soap suds in the kitchen, or uh, driving teenagers zanily around the countryside in search of adventures. He would talk to teenagers about their problems, listen to them, and with a wonderful sense of humor, make everyone, everyone laugh. One time I went to see him conduct in the Royal Albert Hall and got to go backstage to meet the soloist that evening. You will remember that I have said that the letter to the Romans is a bold reminder of the gospel of God for all nations. It would be easy for a church in a city like Rome to get a bit too big for its own boots. It's probable that they had some little squabble between some of the Jewish Christians and some of the Gentile Christians about who was better than the other or more important. The Jewish Christians had gone out of the city for a few years and they come come back and in the meantime the Gentile Christians had turned everything upside down and made everything different. Pride is a tricky thing to deal with, but it is an easy thing to diagnose. C.S. Lewis, in one of, I think, the most profound passages he ever wrote, said that the way you spot a humble person is not by whether they think less of themselves, but by whether they think of themselves less. That conductor elbow deep in soap suds, thinking about teenagers. If you met a really humble person, C.S. Lewis said, you wouldn't notice he was humble. What you would notice is that he was really interested in you. The same, I think, is true of a church. If you ever went to a really humble church, what you would think is not that's a humble church, 
what you would think is they're really interested in me. Two weeks ago, some of our leaders discovered that in 2001, DuPage County was 55% unchurched. Today, in 2016, it is 90% unchurched. Let that sink in for a moment. The reason why Paul was raising the eyes of these Roman Christians to the gospel of God is so that they would become focused on the mission of God in Rome the Roman Empire, and beyond. It is a bold reminder of the gospel of God for the sake of all nations, locally, regionally, globally. Of course, uh, when you go to a proud church, what you will notice is that no one says hello to you. Or uh, someone might even say, you're sitting in my pew. As your pastor, I can tell you that the number one thing we as a church need to learn from this Romans chapter 8 is that we cannot channel our energy internally. Ed Stetzer, who's the head of Lifeway Research, one of these research organizations that surveys the church in America, Ed Stetzer says that the reason why churches in America decline is because they become Inward focused. But why do they become inward focused? Because they're concerned about themselves. But, but why are they concerned about themselves? Because they do not understand that nothing can separate them from the love of Christ. So they take their eyes off the gospel of God and the nation surrounding them who it is their mission to reach. You see, to be confident in the terms of Romans chapter 8 is not to be self-confident. It is to be confident in God and what he has done for you at the cross, his, his finished, completed, and sufficient salvation. And therefore, we think of ourselves less, and we're released to focus on the people that God has called us to love and serve and reach. It is our job. To reach these people. So then, be holy. For then, be hopeful. What then? Be humble. Why? Because of Christ. 
in whom there is no condemnation, no separation, because of this bold reminder of the gospel of God for the sake of all nations. So now we boldly proclaim the gospel of God to all nations. Why? For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Who shall separate you from the love of Christ? Nothing can. And so now, lift up your eyes and see the harvest. Take risks for Christ. Why? For you know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So now be bold for the gospel. Why? For those whom he justified, he also glorified. So be encouraged in the spirit for the spirit helps you in your weaknesses and we are all weak and so focus not on the present pain but on the eternal gain why for the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in you and so like those early Christians who through their love conquered the Roman Empire In all these things, you also are more than conquerors through him who loved you. Greatest chapter in the greatest letter in the greatest book ever written. Hyperbole. You be the judge. Let's pray together. Let's take a moment then for those of us in Christ to take responsibility to be holy. Would you put to death sin? Uh, take a moment to receive the message of uh, present suffering as birth pangs that mean glory is about to be delivered. And so be filled with hope. Take a moment to hear no condemnation, no separation. And so think of ourselves less.
and with joy look to the harvest. We ask, Lord, for your Spirit's help. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.